So we are drawing our little four-part series um, to a close this morning. We've been covering our purpose statement and our values over the last few weeks, and so um, this is the last in that four-part series. So our purpose statement, everybody can say it with me, right? We exist to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples. I think there were like two of you that were with me there. So let's do it again. Ready? We exist to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples. Um, And we've heard those kinds of themes mentioned in the songs and things that Mark said and things that Brett mentioned and prayed as well. Um, So that's the purpose statement. And then the values, keep it simple, right? This is easy, right? All of you could get this one. Gospel, community, mission, okay? So are those things, we've talked in weeks past, we'll talk about it again this morning, actual values and aspirational because we all have room to grow, right? And so we're actually aiming at growth in the direction of are these things really at the heart of who we are and how we live. So for this series, we've camped out in the book of 1 Peter, um, and we've seen again and again how these themes are woven throughout that book. So we started with 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Um, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and all of that is by grace, right? It's all by the gospel. Um, That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, again, radiating, reflecting God's infinite worth through Christ. This gospel that we have is a treasure. God has been so kind. He's poured out the riches of his mercy and his grace on us, and we have so much to to say about it. We should proclaim from the rooftops um, and in so doing glorify God and will be a light to the nations. It'll be good for other people as we shine with his light. So we saw how the gospel is central to Peter's argument. Right off the bat, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is chapter one, verse three. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Mark read from Ephesians 2, we were all dead in our sins. And if you're in Christ, if you came alive and you realized your sin, your absolute utter need before God, you can't save yourself, you can't atone for your sins, and you turned from your sin and you ran to Jesus and trusted him as your savior, then you have been made alive together with Christ and saved by grace It's all because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus that that can be ours. So the gospel's central in this book. And then last week we looked at the kind of community that the gospel creates. So the gospel creates the community and the gospel sends us out on mission. We looked at five different passages in 1 Peter. I won't repeat those now. Um, If you missed it, you can always go online and listen later. So this morning we're going to see what 1 Peter has to say about mission. 
because this is a missions emphasis Sunday. Every fifth Sunday, we focus on what God's doing locally and um, around the world in missions. And so um, we had a really sweet time this morning at 9 a.m. in here hearing um, a number of things that God's doing both here and internationally. Um, And our passage this morning is from chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. So if you aren't there already, turn in 1 Peter to chapter 3. And if you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 1016. So I'll read chapter 3, verses 13 to 16. And then we'll, we'll dive in. Peter writes this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So that's our passage for this morning. We're going to look at it in five points. So first point, have no fear. Look again at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Um, It could be pretty easy to misunderstand what Peter is saying here. Um, He is not saying, hey, if you're a good person, you're less likely to be harmed, less likely to be persecuted. So that might be true in kind of a proverbial way, but that's not what Peter is saying here. Look back at the immediate context. Just go back to verse 9. Paul is, or I'm sorry, Peter, is assuming that these believers are going to catch heat for their faith. So do not repay evil for evil, verse 9, or reviling for reviling. You know, don't respond in kind. Don't fight fire with fire. But on the contrary, bless. Just echoing Jesus' words, right? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Pray for those who persecute you. So do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For, and then he quotes Old Testament here, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, in light of that, who is there to harm you? So he's saying that suffering and persecution will come, evil, reviling, but the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer, and the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter said it back in chapter 1, sufferings are going to come, 
but they're part of God's plan. Like he uses them to purify his people, to refine our faith. So our suffering is superintended by God. You know, you think of Genesis 50, 20 and Joseph's story. Even though his brothers did all this evil against him, you meant it for evil, but God superintended this. He meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Or Romans 8, 28, we know it well. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Doesn't mean all things are good, but all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. In other words, you can expect as a Christian that you may go through some of those things. No, in all these things, they can't separate us from the love of God in Christ, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So if we suffer for righteousness sake, we will be blessed. There's a reward for suffering for Jesus' sake. So Paul is, or I'm sorry, I'm going to say that all morning. You can just know that I mean Peter. Um, so when he says, now, who is there to harm you? Well, there can be a lot of people to harm you. But not ultimately. They can't ultimately touch you. You remember, in, I think it's in Luke 21, Jesus says, some of you they will kill, but not a hair of your head will perish. That's the kind of logic here. So can we go through, you know, Romans 8, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, tribulation, distress, persecution? Absolutely. But if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the, the logic here, okay? So I, I, I like what Ed Clowney says here. This might be one to, to write down and ponder a little bit. Suffering is not the opposite of blessing, even though we oftentimes operate that way. Suffering for righteousness is not a sign of punishment. Of not, it's not a sign of God abandoning you. It's actually a sign of God's blessing. Augustine said this, if you love the good, you will suffer no loss because whatever you may be deprived of in this world, you will never lose God who is the true good. They can't take him from you. So Peter, he's trying to shape their expectations, and we need our expectations shaped. In chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Testing language, remember, back in chapter 1? As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Ultimately, no one. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed by God. 
So ultimately, bottom line, you can't be harmed. If God is for us, who can ultimately be against us? No one, nothing. Which obviously, logically leads in verse 14 to the, to the commands, to the imperatives. Have no fear of them. If they ultimately can't harm you, if they ultimately can't touch you, they can't take God from you, they can't separate you from the love of God in Christ, then you don't have to fear them. You don't have to be troubled. Listen, maybe you haven't caught a lot of heat for your faith. Maybe some of you have. But there's probably more heat to come in the future. If you and I, if we're afraid to face opposition or persecution, we are not going to open our mouth. Or if we're afraid to face opposition and persecution, when we do open our mouth, we may deny Jesus out of fear of what people will think or how they will react. And we need to guard against that. So Peter knew that firsthand, didn't he? Think about his life. A little servant girl. Hey, your accent betrays you. You were with him. I don't know what you're talking about. Denial, denial, denial. But then think about Peter after Pentecost. And he is just boldly preaching Jesus, no matter the cost. In fact, they went away from a beating rejoicing that they had the honor and privilege of suffering for Jesus' name. So what are you and I more afraid of? Being ashamed of God? That is something to fear. Or the shame that some might heap on us for being a Christian? Which one are you more afraid of? So we should not fear adversaries. We should fear the Lord. And again, said it before, I'll say it again, and probably a few more times this morning. Our values are actual, but they are aspirational. Like, don't you want to live fearless? Don't you want to be bold and, and kind of unencumbered by fear of what people might think of you? Well, we can aspire to that. We can seek that by God's grace, asking him, seeking and knocking. Lord, help me, grow me. Any fear of man, help me put it to death. Fear you alone. So to not let fear of man keep you from being ready for the mission that he has called us to participate in. So we need to take aim, actually, at our fears. Um... Like, do you actually, if, if you do kind of chicken out, if you back away, if you see that stuff in you, do you ever just stop and prayerfully evaluate that? Like, what am I afraid of, Lord? Help me actually see what's at the root of this and take aim there. And would you strengthen me down in that, you know, at the core of who I am so that I'm not afraid of what people will think? I don't want to be governed by the approval of other human beings. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Fear the Lord. And second point leads us right into it. Hallow his name in your heart. That's what we need down at the core. Is not fear of people, but hallowing the Lord Jesus in our hearts. We don't want to hallow the opinions of, of other human beings. 
We want to hallow in our hearts Christ as Lord. So point number two, look again at 314. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Did you know that this is an Old Testament illusion? This is probably a familiar text to many of you. This is actually almost a quote from Isaiah 8. So Peter is clearly connecting his thoughts here to Isaiah 8, 12 and 13. So go ahead and turn there. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 572. So what's going on in Isaiah 8? While you're turning there, southern kingdom of Judah was threatened by the northern kingdoms. Remember, the kingdom had split um, king, kingdom of Israel and, and Aram. They're threatening to remove Ahaz and install a puppet king. And this threat filled Ahaz with terror. You can see that back in chapter 7 of Isaiah. But Yahweh promised through Isaiah to preserve Judah. And they needed to trust him. They needed to fear Yahweh, not the threats. Sounds familiar, right? So look at Isaiah 8, 11. For Yahweh, the Lord, those four capital letters, Yahweh, his covenant name. For Yahweh spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And here it is. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. So 1 Peter 3.14, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So this is like the main thing here this morning is honoring Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts. This is how we get ready for the mission of, that God's called us to participate in. But did you see what's going on here? Peter clearly identifies Jesus with Yahweh of hosts. What? Like if you need another clear testimony to the deity of Jesus, here it is right here. Jesus deserves, Peter's saying, Jesus deserves the same honor, the same fear as Yahweh of hosts. Like the commander of the armies of heaven and earth. Which is fitting because the readers were being persecuted for their allegiance to Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar as Lord. So what is it that we're being commanded to do? In our hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. What does that mean? Well, first off, it's in our hearts. That means at the center of who we are. Okay, think of Proverbs 4.23. Um, Guard or keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So this is the place from which all of life flows. If the fountainhead gets clogged, then downstream dries up. Or if there's contamination at the source, everything downstream is contaminated. So if you fear people, what they think at the core, that's going to impact how you live and how you speak. But if you honor Christ Jesus, the Lord, as holy in here, that's going to shape everything as far as how you speak and act and attitude and so forth. So in our hearts, at the center of our being, we want to hallow the name of Jesus. We don't have 
We don't want to have any other gods before God. No other Lord but the Lord Jesus. He doesn't take a back seat in anything. Again, aspirational, right? Actual aspirational. Like, Jesus should be our first thought, not our last thought. Like, we're going to refuse, right, church? We're going to refuse to be apathetic or indifferent to Jesus' lordship over any nook and cranny of our life. Instead, we're actually going to be intentional. Like, what does it mean to be, for him to be Lord of all of who I am? How I spend time, money, entertainment. Like, I, I just want to think Christianly. I want to submit to the Lordship of Christ in every nook and cranny. And that needs to be intentional and proactive. Again, we're not passive or indifferent to these things, right? Apathetic, no. Like, this has got to be our aspiration if we're going to join God in his mission in this world. It's the most important preparation you can do on any given day. Like, who's going to be Lord today? Whose worth and glory and honor will I hallow today? Like, how practical is that? I mean, it's just really easy to get off track, right? And, and even just, like, how do I do that? How do I do that in my work life, Lord? How do I do that in my home life? How do I do that on the weekends? How do I do that, you know, like, ask the Lord. Talk about it. That's what we should be talking about, like, encouraging one another in these things, helping each other with these things, learning from each other. So I am not trying to pick on the Eagles fans here this morning. Okay, I'm going to say it. Go birds. You heard it here. I just said that. Yep. I hope they win today. But I did read an article this pet if, if you're not like following football, it's kind of a big football game today. I think it's like at three o'clock. Um, Eagles play 49ers for the NFC championship. The winner goes to the Super Bowl. Okay, there you go. Um, but I read this article this past week that was pretty striking. It's about Brock Purdy. He's the quarterback for 49ers. So here we go. The rookie quarterback who surprised NFL observers by guiding the San Francisco 49ers to the NFC Championship says his Christian faith has given him peace and confidence amidst the spotlight. Rookie Brock Purdy started the season as the 49ers' third-string quarterback but became the starter in early December due to a string of injuries, guiding his team to an undefeated December. So he, he's played seven games. You know what his record is? 7-0. and oh. Last Sunday, they beat the Dallas Cowboys 19-12, to 12, um, which is great. Um, so anyway, he says, he, he says, I'm, I'm very thankful. Um, he says, I'm very thankful. Purdy said after the game Sunday, San Francisco, uh, yeah, sorry. He said he's very thankful. That was one point. San Francisco coach Kyle Shanahan said, Purdy is definitely the most poised rookie I've ever had. After his first victory as quarterback in December, Purdy was asked if he plays with a sense of fearlessness. Purdy says he does. Well, why? You go out there, this is quoting him, you prepare as best you can, you get, you get better every single day at practice, and once you get your opportunity, it's what, what are you going to do with it? He said, for me... I believe in the Lord, I, and I trust in him. I just go out there, and I just play. 
His social media bios say believer in Christ. His Twitter bio includes a Bible verse, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. He discussed his faith in a recent interview saying he wants to be able to witness and defend the Christian faith as best as I can. My identity is in Jesus, Purdy said. And then he recounted a moment at Iowa State, that's where he played in college, when he asked God to forgive him for placing football before his relationship with Christ. It was just a great reminder of where my identity is. It's in Jesus, and I continue to lean on him. Again, the next day, I didn't go out and throw for 500 yards as this awesome quarterback, but it was just this peace that I had with him, knowing that, hey, no matter what I'm going to face moving forward during college football, God and Jesus are going to be my identity, and whatever I face, I won't be shaken from it. I've got a great foundation in him. So, okay, this isn't your life application. You're not a professional football player. But listen, if winning is the goal, then you'll be somebody when you win, and you'll be nobody when you lose. If success is the goal, then if the numbers are up at work, you're somebody. If you're not hitting your targets, you're insecure, and everything's falling apart. I mean, you can just keep teasing this out, right? But if honoring Christ is the goal, Honoring Christ in your heart as holy, if that's your goal, then guess what? You can do that whether you win or whether you lose. Whether you have abundance or whether you have lack. Whether you're healthy or whether you're sick. Like, do you see? And then you're ready. Ready? Like, are we ready? So that's point number three. Ready. Yeah, we need lots of grace for this. So aspirational. So point number three ready question mark again look at verse 14 have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you so are you prepared like this listen this is God's inspired word through the pen of the apostle Peter this is not advice this is a command this is actually one of the ways that you honor Christ as Lord in your hearts is when he says, get ready, you say, yes, sir. <laughs> so we must be prepared. Are you prepared? When it comes to mission, how many Christians are intimidated and silent as a result? Oh, I don't know what to say, or what if I say the wrong thing? We're supposed to be prepared to make a defense, like to give a reason, to give an explanation for the reason or for the hope that's within us. So we've got to be ready. I, so sometimes, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Sometimes that's out of genuine, humble concern. But I think more often it can be justification, rationalization of cowardice or selfishness. And we stay right where we are and Satan laughs up his sleeve and we don't reflect much of God's infinite worth. We don't proclaim his excellencies. He's not glorified and others are not helped. So let's get really practical here. Could you share your hope 
like the reason for your hope in like three to five minutes if somebody asked you. Like you might want to just take some time this week, like write yourself a note right now that you'll actually look at again and one of the mornings or whenever you spend time with the Lord, like take some time and actually you know, it's probably going to vary person to person and where the conversation starts and whatever, but if I was to try to share why I'm a Christian, what would I say? Could I, like, am I ready with that? It might help to actually write it out. What is my hope and why do I hope in God? What's the reason for the hope within me? Like, write out a personal apologetic. So the point of this is not you have to become a professional apologist. No. I mean, think of the blind man. <laughs> You can be faithful with this, like day one of becoming a Christian. He's like, you know, you're peppering me with all these questions. All I know is I was blind, now I see. There you go, that's awesome. Okay? But we shouldn't be lazy or indifferent to growing. So we take intentional, proactive steps to be prepared. We want to grow in our understanding of God's truth and of the gospel and our ability to articulate it, make it accessible to those who are unfamiliar with the Bible and Christianity. Like, so write that thing out in such a way that it would be understandable to someone who didn't grow up in church. Like, take out all the Christian jargon and Christianese. It's important to be able, ready, to give that reason, explanation, in a clear, accessible way. So I was actually asked not long ago for, for the reasons why I believe in the existence of God. So this may be a step, kind of a foundational step before you get to Christ himself. Um, but let me just run through a couple things that came to mind. Um, this is just an example. So why do I believe in God? Well, ultimately because God graciously opened my eyes, right? So that's the ultimate reason. But why, why am I a Christian? Why do I believe these things? Here, here's just a few like, strands that came to mind. And maybe these are the kinds of things that you would talk to somebody about. This is probably more than just your three to five minute thing, but anyway, it's just, it's just an example of what it looks like to be ready. So have you ever thought about consciousness? Like if you talk to somebody that has no Christian background, they're like, why in the world would you believe in God? Like we evolved from apes and, you know, this big bang and they just assume all that stuff. Okay, okay, so what is consciousness? Where does it come from? Is it just accidental and meaningless? Like, so again, I'm just gonna give you some bullet points. We can't trace these out, but you can see how these would be like, whoa, giving people things to think about and maybe that opens the door for further conversation. How about conscience? Where's that come from? Like there's this universal dynamic of guilt and right and wrong and, you know, it can vary place to place, yes, but by and large, like everybody knows conscience, guilt. Nobody's lived up to their own standards, let alone God's. I mean, you could ask somebody the question, if you were to stand before God, the judge of all the earth, and you have to stand under his scrutiny, would you be inclined to ask for him to give you what you deserve or to give you mercy? Like, the test, people are made in the image of God. His law is stamped on their hearts like, Actually, I did have somebody say what I deserve one time. Like, you liar. But anyway, um, 
We'll just go to another question. Morality. Judicial sentiments. Like, where does that come from? And is it just individually determined? Well, obviously, we end up with a mess pretty quickly if that's the case. Is it societally determined? Well, Nazi Germany, that ended up with a mess pretty quickly. Where does it come from? We could give lots of other arguments. Uh, Let me just hit two more. Do you know, I think this, this is probably really important to grasp so that you can give people a reason for the hope that's within you. Do you know that the problem of evil is actually an argument for the existence of God? Even though most people that don't believe in God, that's one of their main reasons why they don't believe in God. Because they're like, well, if God is all-powerful and he's all-loving, why is there so much evil? Why doesn't he deal with it? He's either not all-powerful or not all-loving, right? Well, ask some questions. Like the universal sense that all is not right with the world, where did that come from? And what is evil by, anyway, (laughs) where does that definition come from? So if we are in a cold mechanistic universe, weak, inferior beings getting churned up and chewed up in the cold impersonal cogs, yeah, what else would you expect? But you don't live that way. Your insides just cry out when you hear of child abuse and rape and like all kinds of violence in this world. It's not right down here. Something's wrong. We're going against the way we're designed. So if, if there's no God, the people, you know, that say there's Like, they should have a problem with the fact that they've got a problem with evil. Do you see what I'm saying? And then ultimately, like, the most compelling reason, Jesus. (laughs) The most compelling person to ever live. I mean, if he is who he says he is, he is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. That changes everything. Like, and then you can just go to some illustrations of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, whether that's Mark 2 and that man that was paralyzed, his friends bring him, and first thing he says, and he comes down through the ceiling, your sins are forgiven. What? Um, I'm sorry, I can't walk. And, And even a deeper question than that is, like, how can you declare my sins forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. Exactly. Anyway, I mean, you can go through so many different angles here, but the point is, are you ready? Are you prepared? Can you give clear, understandable, jargon-free answers? Or even like specific ones. Like, so let's say you have Roman Catholic friends. Are you ready to talk to a Roman Catholic friend and explain the difference between what they believe and what you believe? Do you know? So at a theological level, there's a massive difference between what the Roman Catholic Church says justification by faith is and what we believe justification is. You know that you can lose your justification in the Roman Catholic Church? You can have it, not have it, and have it, not have it. So theologically, you could talk about that, but then you could also 
talk at it on a more kind of rubber meets the road sort of level? Do you, do you like, God does his part and you have to do your part in order to make it? So is, is salvation like more like a job description and then you get the paycheck at the end? Or is it more like a doctor's prescription? And if you trust the doctor, you'll take your medicine. You see, there's a massive difference. You could actually have something to boast about at the end if it's a job description that you fulfill. But if it's a, jo- a doctor's job prescription, or, whoa, doctor's prescription, there's nothing to boast about. You are totally needy. So anyway, getting ready. There's lots of good books you can read. Um, I'll mention one in a minute here. If, you, if you're looking for a good book, I'll give you one. Talk to me later. Um, another thing is just start sharing with people. What happens when you start to share your faith is it creates, like you realize how much you don't know. You don't know how to answer these questions. And then it creates needs so that you're like a sponge whenever you actually do start to wrestle with these things and read up and study them. And you can always say, hey, that's a great question. I have no idea. Can I get back to you? Ask people that are better at it than you. You know, how did you start that last conversation? Ask, you know, Brett Wharton or Al Huss or I don't know. Just there's probably people in your life that you know are, you could ask Annette Rupert how she connected with somebody at Wawa that she, you know, buys her coffee from every week. and certainly prayer. So we need to be ready, ready to speak the gospel clearly, but that's not all. Not only what we say matters, how we say it matters, okay? Point number four, manner matters. First Peter three fourteen again, have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So our fearlessness, right? Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Our fearlessness should never lead to pride and smugness and condescension. Our goal is not winning the argument. Our goal is love and witness that those that we speak with, even our enemies, might know Jesus as their Savior and Lord as well. Like we bear witness in love, not in cold, condescending superiority. So we're called to proclaim in a particular manner, not with arrogance, not to be some debate bully, you know, just seeking to win, not in a way that belittles or demeans the other person, but with gentleness and respect. So listen, how do you tend to respond when the environment gets a little heated or hostile. Online, yeah, that counts too. Family gathering, at work. Do you get all amped up and like fight fire with fire? Or do you remain self-controlled and bear the fruit of the Spirit even when you're communicating hard truths that, you know, they may get upset with? I'm not saying, you know, don't speak the truth but speak the truth in love. So this is, 
this gentleness, it's not just, you know, politeness. It's humility that's a fruit of fear of the Lord. Actually, that respect word is, is phobos in Greek. It could, could be respect toward man, but it's actually most likely our fear of God. Okay, so out of fear of God, we want to humbly engage in the manner in which we relate to others when we are speaking the message of the gospel. Our manner matters. So we certainly don't, you know, run and hide out of fear. We don't withdraw as Christians in the face of pressure and heat. Safety is not a primary value. Shouldn't be. Mission is a primary value. So withdrawing to a safe Christian bubble is not the calling. Don't hide your light under a bushel. But a hostile counterattack is also not our calling. There's a manner of delivering the message that undermines the message. So if, if offense is taken, and certainly it's going to be taken, like it should not be because of our sinful attitude and speech. It should be because of the cross. So one New Testament scholar, Karen Jobes, put it like this, being mistreated or maliciously slandered because one is a Christian does not give license for a respond in kind. It is exactly in those moments or at those moments when a believer may feel the least like responding with a gracious testimony of hope in Christ that it is most important to do so. So again, aspirational, right? Brothers and sisters, do we aspire to honor and reflect the Lord Jesus not only in what we say, but how we say it. So we are to prepare to proclaim the excellencies of our God and, and give a reason for the hope that's within us. We are called also to practice what we preach. So what we say matters, how we say it matters, but finally how we live matters. Okay, this is point number five. Um, it's called two wings to fly. You'll understand in a second. The point is we can't unsay with our lifestyle, with our attitudes and our actions, what we say with our lips. So again, verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Why does he say having a good conscience? Because the clarity and effectiveness of our witness depends not only on our grasp of the truths of the gospel and theology, it also depends on the quality of our life. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect or even impressive. It does mean that we need to have integrity and authenticity of life. Again, aspirational. Actual, aspirational. So back in June, I officiated the funeral for Will Metzger, Todd Metzger's dad. Um, Todd and Rachel were longtime members here. They're down at Epiphany now. M many of you know them. And he passed away um, this summer at 82 years of, old, uh, of age, 52 of those years, he served Christ through um, InterVarsity at UD, 52 years at UD. Um, so I met him shortly after arriving here. I think it was probably late 09 or early 10. Um, reached out to him to see if there were any like upperclassmen that could help out with our student ministry at the time. 
and he connected me with Greg Kasky, and through Greg, met Colleen, and I ended up marrying Greg and Colleen, and officiating the service. I know that's a weird phrase. Okay, <laughs> officiating the service so that they could get married. Um, that was in 2011, and obviously we've been supporting Colleen since then. Um, so Will was not shy about sharing the gospel. He actually wrote a book, a pretty well-known book about evangelism. It's called Tell the Truth, the whole gospel to the whole person by whole people. And there was an extra copy, so whoever comes up and gets it, that's yours. Um, so in that book, um, I actually read it before even moving here um, because, again, it was well-known to be super helpful, clear, God-centered, all of that. Um, and reading this book could actually be a good follow-up as far as how to get prepared. Uh, but anyway, one of the things that he says in the book is you need both wings of the plane. Lips and life, creed and conduct, words and deeds, truth and love. So the subtitle of the book, Whole Gospel to the Whole Person by Whole People. So I think this aspiration here of how do we get mission ready, how do we faithfully engage in God's mission, we certainly need to do some head work. We need to prepare so that we have an answer. But it's all of who we are, our life. Whole people bring the whole gospel to other whole people. So if you, if you and I, if we share the gospel, we do it in, like, well, let me say it this way. If we share the gospel here, but in other aspects where those people interact with us, we are, you know, kind of prickly and unloving and unforgiving and critical and grumbling, and we are unsaying and undermining with our lives what we are saying with our lips. So we need to repent and have Jesus do some house cleaning. I mean, certainly, like, if you're living one way on Sunday and another way the rest of the week, you know, we're going to drag the name of Jesus through the mud. So head and heart, truth and love, like, everything, into integrity, 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 whole person sharing the whole truth with whole people. So which bar is lower in your life, if I could put it that way? For some people, the talk is easier, the walk is harder. For some people, the walk is easier, the talk is really hard. Okay, just, Lord, would you bring these things up into alignment? Like, I need to be, I don't want to undermine with my actions what I'm saying here, even though I'm, you know, I don't have fear of anybody. I'll say anything to anybody. Or, yeah, I'm living this out, but I definitely can give way to fear of man. Lord, please help me be bold and courageous. So what do we need to deal with so that we are people of integrity, just transparent, authenticity, integrity. It is key to faithful witness. So, I mean, what happens when a plane loses a wing? That's bad. If a plane only has one wing, is that plane gonna get off the ground? No. So our conduct gives credence to our confession. And it will lead to some glorifying God on the day of visitation. Remember 
2.12, we started out with this passage the first week of the series. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the nations, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, of course you're gonna catch some heat, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, which is an echo of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, right? You're the light of the world. City on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Both wings of the plane. So, over and over again here, actual, aspirational, like, are these things that you aspire to like we've got to aspire to these things we've got to aim at these things intentionally regularly don't you want to be the real deal no hypocrisy not one thing here another thing in another context what is it that the Lord wants you to take aim at so that you will be ready and engaged faithfully in his mission so Listen one last time to the text that we started this whole series with as the musicians can make their way up here. We're gonna sing a couple, a couple songs to close. Here's who you are, Christian, and this is what we should aspire to. So you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen.